Today's sponsor is Headspace. You slept every night of your life, so you should be pretty good at it by now, right? Unfortunately, many of us don't get the quality sleep that we need and could use a little bit of help, and that's where Headspace has got you covered. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. And while they have meditations devoted to helping you reduce stress and increase your overall sense of well-being, they have an entire library of sleep stories, sleep music, and other sleep sounds that can help you get the quality sleep you desperately need. And for busy lifestyles, they have what's called wind downs. It's meditations and breathing exercises that are as short as three minutes so they can fit into anybody's schedule. I personally use Headspace myself. I've tried out some of the sleep stuff. It actually works. Like to me, it actually makes a difference. So Headspace, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot. And over 60 million downloads. Try it today for free and start sleeping soundly. So right now, our listeners get 30% off Headspace's entire library of meditations. Just go to headspace.com slash sleep pod for 30% off your subscription, but only until May 12th. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash sleep pod today. This is a Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 164. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host. He shoots an 85 on the golf course. Pat Flynn. What is up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me today. And by the time you're listening to this, at least if you're listening on June 3rd, I will be on my way to Ghana. I'm gonna, I'm gonna head over to Ghana to visit a couple of schools that you and I built together, actually. Last year for my birthday, I, I did a campaign where uh, together with the SPI community, we would raise funds to build a school through pencilsofpromise.org. And I said, if we get to $25,000, I would match that. And we got to $28,000. So combined, we were able to together build two schools and they're built. And I'm headed over there to visit the schools, to visit the students, and to see the little plaques that we put on them. Uh, and, and you'll see in a later episode of SPI TV next month exactly what those plaques say. And, and I do give you guys credit for what you guys did. And again, thank you so much to everybody who contributed to that campaign. It, re, it, it meant so much to me that that you did that. And I can't wait to bring back footage since my good buddy Caleb Wojcik is coming with me. And I, I know that by the time I get back, my just perspective on everything is just going to change. And I'm going to be even more motivated to give more and to do bigger and better things for as many people as, as I can in the world. And again, I have a lot of you to thank for that and this podcast and just this whole world of online business. It's just incredible what opportunities it has opened up. So thank you so much. And uh, I'll see you in Ghana. Hopefully I get internet connection so I can post a few Instagram photos and, and things like that. Uh, but if not, you know, I'll see you on the flip side. Now, in the meantime, I'm really excited because today's episode features a great friend of mine, fellow San Diegan, Michael O'Neill. You might recognize that name because he's the host of the Solopreneur Hour, which is a podcast that I love listening to whenever I have a chance. And it's great because he he's taken a great approach to his podcast. It's not a interview type of episode. And I've been on his show a couple of times. It's literally a chat as if you were both in a coffee shop together or, or Michael and whoever is on the show with him. It's just like you're a fly on a wall listening to a couple people chat about random things that friends who are interested in entrepreneurship talk to. And it's just so, so good. So I highly recommend you check out his show, 
the Solopreneur Hour. It was nominated for a Stitcher Award, and uh, it's just it's just great. And Michael is a, is a fantastic interviewer, and uh, he just seems to, through these conversations, get incredible information out of the other people. And we talk a lot about, in this episode, more so toward the end, some actionable tips for you. If you do any interviews down the road, some specific questions that you can ask to differentiate yourself and also get some golden answers. And we just talk shop as if Michael was bringing his show, The Solopreneur Hour, over to the SPI podcast for a little bit. This is a great episode, a lot of cool back and forth. We talk about everything from what he's learned from watching comedians to men's fashion to interviews and other tips and marketing strategies that you can use for your business as well. So here we go. This is Michael O'Neill from solopreneurhour.com. All right, what's up, Mike? How are you? Welcome to the SPI podcast. It has been a long six-year journey for me. So this is really coming around. I'm so excited and I'm full of gratitude that you're having me on your on your little your little show here. <laughs> Dude, we go way back and you've had me on your show, of course. Solopreneur Hour. It's just a, it's just such a great show. I mean, everybody should check it out. Solopreneurhour.com. You were nominated as best new show in 2013 at the Stitcher Awards. You know, it's just a pleasure to always be on your show. And your show is one of the most unique out there because, you know, wh- why don't you just tell us about your show really quick? How were you able to kind of differentiate yourself? Because there's so many interview shows out there. I love how you've just decided to go in this direction. What, how is it different? They, they say that successful people put their pants on the same way the rest of us do. So my show is about watching them put their pants on. That's what I've been saying. <laughs> Through audio. To me, it's not enough. Everyone can, uh, as I said, because you were one of the original guests on the show, And I said, if you really want to hear about Pat's story of becoming, you know, this online entrepreneur from being an architect, go to his about page or listen to the other 374 podcasts that he's been interviewed on and told that story. So a lot of it was triggered by, and I've said this a few times, about a lunch that you and I had here in San Diego. And and we just hung out for a couple hours and we just chatted. How long ago was that? It was, uh, when was this? It was May of 2013, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. And a couple of years ago, and we talked about our lives and we talked about our significant others and uh, cars and breakdancing. Fashion. And men's fashion and all kinds of stuff. And as we were walking back, you, you literally stopped and you turned and said, dude, thank you. I never get to do that. I never just get to talk about my real life. And I thought, hmm, what an interesting idea for a show. What if, what if I had a show that was really just about the actual life and not just the quote unquote journey, because everyone has their story of what their journey is, but their actual life and what it's like to have to get up and manage a couple of kids. And how do you structure your days? And what is it like? Like, what's the fear factor that goes into, you know, I'm going to like endeavor on this brand new thing and I've never done it before. And I'm really exposed. I've got a a million eyeballs looking at me. So if I fail, it's going to be really public. Where did, where does the, how do you muster up the, the, the strength for that? And to me, that, that was something that I think people were missing was the, yeah, but I get that he had this journey. Everyone has their sort of hero's journey, but what about like, how does he, how does he do his day? And, and what did he do when he was a kid? Cause the idea for me is like, if I can, if I can identify one little spot or a number of little spots in someone's journey in their lives that my audience was at some point, they can look at them and go, wait a second, this person had two kids and did this, and this is how they managed that. I can totally do that. So it's not like I want to be the best person in the world. It's like, oh, I can, if I, if I hear enough of this, I can take the right steps 
to, you know, further my life and become a successful solopreneur. Yeah. I mean, because your show is not about the, you know, give us give us two of your favorite tips on, you know, email marketing. It's it's not that it's it's just the daily life. And it, it like I, I remember that that lunch we had, we had a pizza with, hmm. was it macaroni and Ma- cheese mash, on it? No, mashed, oh, mashed potatoes. potatoes. That's right. Bake. Yeah. Something interesting. And, and we had just a, such a good conversation. And I, I remember at the time you didn't have your podcast then, of course, no. you, you didn't even really have a, a your own business at the time. I didn't know I was going to do a podcast. I was doing production for the kick out life with David Wood, which is a, another, like a personal development show that mm-hmm. I was doing all the back end on. So my, my goal and, and where I was in my brain at that time was I'm going to reach out to successful, you know, public speakers and personal development folks. And I'm going to have a kit of parts for them where I'm going to say, Hey, you're going to talk into the microphone. I'm going to do everything else. So with that show, I developed the brand. I did the intro outro. I did all the social media. I built the website. I did all of that. And I would edit and produce the show three times a week. And so that I did that for 18 months, uh, essentially for free. Like I was growing the brand of the kick-ass life and it went really well, which is where I sort of got my first exposure into like what podcasting was mm-hmm. and on then that, on the production side anyway. And then we had this lunch and what changed for you? Well, at the time, so I was like a year into that program with, with David mm-hmm. And I had a percentage deal where it's like, if we would make a thousand bucks, I'd get a certain percentage of that. But we weren't, despite my hoping and my planning that we would be, we hadn't really monetized yet because he didn't do that. He didn't do that kind of marketing. Mm-hmm. And so after a while, I'm like, man, I really have to start, like, I got to figure something out. And we had a guest on this guy, Mike Johnston, who you have to have on your show. He's one of the best drummers in the world. He's been on the cover of all the magazines He's running a six-figure-plus-per-month drum coaching business that he's essentially modeled after iTunes. And he's super smart, has a great marketing mind, and is quite truly like top two or three guests of all time on my show. Mike Johnston. And Mike Johnston with a T. Mm. You can go to mikeslessons.com. And he was on the kick of life. And as I was, cause I was the producer, as I chatted with him before the show, we like got along smashingly well. We just really, it was one of those things where we were just talking for two hours and we're both like, Oh, we got to go. Like we've got to go do life. And he's like a famous drummer and I'm, you know, whatever. But, but, uh, we have like, man, so I thought, wow, it would be really cool. Cause he loves learning. Like you'd be really surprised that hit the shows he listens to are like astronomy podcasts and things like that. And, mm-hmm. and, and he's totally non-sports, but he listens to sports podcasts just because he loves to learn. So I said, I said, we should do a show, Learn to Learn with Mike and Mike. That would be really cool. And he was totally into it. And we started like figuring out how we were going to do it. And, and, uh, and then he literally, it was right around then that his career, he was already really good and sort of famous, but then it really blew up. And now he's on the cover of all the magazines. And our conversations went from like two or three times a week to two or three times a year. Mm-hmm. And now I'm lucky to talk to him like once or twice a year. And so it was like, all right, I think I want to do this because David from the Kickoff Life was climbing Mount Kilimanjaro and we got stuck not having a show. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to jump on. I'll record a show about teaching social media for solopreneurs because that's what I was doing at the time. I was doing like traveling around and would speak to big groups on social media. So I did this show. I flipped the mic on and I, dude, I found it so natural and comfortable and it was one of those things where you ever see the born, uh, born identity. Yeah. 
Remember the part where he's sleeping on the, the park bench? And then the two in Poland, I think it was, and the two guys poke him with the, the stick to wake him up. And he just like, in three seconds, he he knocks them both out and he has the gun and he has no, he kind of looks at it like, how did I just do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of what it was like when I podcasted because it was, it was so second nature for me to just be on the mic and start talking. And all of a sudden I could do, I could do ads really well. And I knew how to introduce people and stuff like that. And I thought, huh. That was kind of easy, you know? That was a thing I could do. Mm-hmm. And then I got tons of feedback from the audience. They said, we loved that show. You should totally do a show. So between our lunch, the thing with Mike, and the fact that I just did that, I said, I have to start a show. That's, but I didn't know what it was going to be about yet. Yeah, I'm really glad you did, though, because now things are taking off for you. Like, how mm-hmm. is life and business now? <laughs> um. Tough to, com- tough to complain. I mean, there's nothing about my life that, that didn't change. I went from, like we all do, I think we all are trying to find our way and trying to figure out like what of these options, I think there's like seven options, you know, you can, you can write a book, you can be a social media person, you can have a YouTube channel, you can do Google Hangouts, you can do a podcast, you can be a blogger, or you can do traditional media. Those are pretty much your seven options that you can start a you know, an online kind of career on. And I figured out one. I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And the big difference is it took me, I was a branding and web guy for years before I started this. So it actually took me three months. So May, June, July. Yeah, that's about right. So when we met was May, it took me three months to figure out that the show was going to be the solopreneur hour. Once I submitted my RSS feed to iTunes, and I guess, I guess this is the difference between what a lot of people, including you, like you have SPI and a podcast as part of your SPI offering. Mm-hmm. When I submitted my RSS feed, I was a podcaster. And if somebody asked me what I did for a living, I would say I'm a podcaster. Yeah. And that was like, the podcast is the product for me. And you so, didn't have an audience before this. You didn't have any email list or no, anything. No, nothing. In fact, and I even decided, I had like a little bit of Twitter following. I had like 6,000 on one of my accounts. And, and I had, you know, probably three or 4,000 on Facebook. Um, but I started over, I started, you know, at solo hour on Twitter with zero and I was like, all right. And so now I'm like just approaching 5,000, which is cool. I'm like, I feel like that's a number that matters. But anyway, to answer your question, it, everything changed The the podcast between advertising and coaching did well over six figures in the first year. And I moved into a, a great place in, uh, I live in also in San Diego, but I live in this great place with you know, two bedrooms and a garage. And I have a, one of the bedrooms is a studio. And I, you know, I think more than almost anyone else I know, I really took the lifestyle part seriously. I'm like, I won't go back to my dog not seeing me when I leave in the morning until I get back at home and it's night to night. I don't want to ever do that again. <laughs> well, you have these shirts printed out that I see people wearing every once in a while that say what on them? Well, I have three. The first one I did, which is the, I think maybe the first viral thing I ever did was at NMX a new media expo last year. And I thought, well, it'd be cool if I like tried to put the show on the map by, I I printed out 50 t-shirts and they were 50. I paid for myself. It was whatever it was like, and I, they were good. I I don't believe in bad t-shirts. I want stuff that people will wear. So they're all American apparel, 2001, like real Mm t-shirts. And they say I'm unemployable on the front. They're bright yellow, which is the, the color of the brand. And then they say I'm an unemployable. And I, me and Nick Unsworth from Life on Fire decided the day before that we should bring t-shirts to New Media Expo. 
So I called a t-shirt printing place in Vegas where New Media Expo is. And I said, can you guys turn t-shirts around in 24 hours? And I had to call a couple. One finally said, yes. I said, great. So I went and I did the artwork and I sent it to him. We had such a crazy deadline. And after I sent it to him, I said, I didn't do the right artwork because it said, become a soloist on the front. That's what it said originally. And I was riding my bike and I was like, that's the wrong artwork. And I beelined it to a Starbucks, changed it to I am unemployable and then sent it to the guy who'd already started making the screen. And I was like, I'll pay for the screen. Don't worry about it. And so he printed them out. They were delivered at the hotel 10 minutes before we got to the hotel. I didn't know about this. This Totally. And then I had this box. So I had my bag I was checking in with, walked upstairs put my bag away, threw one of the t-shirts on, walked back down and literally, we, I was on my way to get a salad with, with Nick, which, uh, I don't know, I probably, maybe a burger. I'll say a burger. <laughs> and I got stopped 10 times by random strangers and like, and people that would stop and take pictures with me. And I was like, whoa, I think I said, I said, I think I did my first viral thing. So my move was I would give the t-shirt away to anybody that would be willing to wear it at the event during the event. Right. Because mm-hmm. I want it to be visible. I so remember I, that. Yeah. I, I, gave all, I think I made 30 of them and I think it was 500 bucks, but I thought that's 500 bucks of good advertising in this group. Yeah. And so now I have three of them. I have the one that says I'm unemployable. I have one that says proudly unemployable. Then the one that I made for World Domination Summit says, I think we're Facebook friends. Yeah. That one's good with you. That's really, that's really funny. You know, so what I wanted to do, Mike, just you and me just chatting, just kind of like how when you had me on your show, you know, just kind of talking about life and, you know, just chill out a little bit. Maybe this episode isn't for people who are looking for the top 10 Facebook tips or, you know, kind of the actionable stuff that people get on the other shows. But, you know, it's good to chill out every once in a while. I think this could be a good lesson for people just to kind of, you know, reflect on things and, you know, understand that, you know, sometimes you have to slow down and just be grateful for things that have happened. We could just talk whatever, you know? Yeah, that sounds great. I would love to give Whatever. I do have some tips. I got great podcasting tips. I got great solopreneur tips. Okay, You you lead the way and I will go down whatever path you choose, Mr. Flynn. Okay, well, we'll try to inject some of that in there. So keep those in in, in your back pocket. You know, get their Evernote heated up. Yeah, but, you know, whenever I'm with you, Mike, we we have such good conversation. And I think, uh, you know, I I wish we could have recorded some of those conversations like that lunch we had. I think. (sighs) I know. How cool would, would that have been to share? Thought of it. Like I've actually thought one thing I, I wanted to do, and maybe we should still do it, but we have so many of us uh, podcasters that are here in San Diego. I thought it'd be really cool. And you, it's funny because you sort of did this with Chris, but I wanted to do a thing called the Mastermind Podcast, where it's like me and you and John Lee Dumas and Nick Gunsworth and like Amy Porterfield all on one show at a time. That'd be insane. And just have this and like really just talk about our week and what we were working on. Don't you think people would love that just to see what the behind the scenes of all of everybody's businesses were? Yeah, and the, ch- the, the chatter, the back and forth. And, you know, everybody's personalities are really cool when they come kind of come together. Totally. Um, it would be number one in business for, uh-huh. for eternity. I mean, maybe that's an episode we could do. We can all get together on a call, on a Skype call, record it, and then we can each put it on each of our podcasts at the same time. That may, that might be kind of fun. Yeah. You know, one thing you did recently, uh, and I did as well, so you did a narrative podcast. Yeah, 138. Yeah, I did episode 200. So my, my episode 200 is I took over 100 clips from listeners. I don't utter a word on the show. All I did is, is made put clips together for whatever it was, 40-something minutes of sort of what the show meant to them, what they've done. And and it was a crazy That's really thing cool. to put together. It took me 18 hours to edit that one show. 
18 hours. Well, you've got me beat for for my uh, storytelling. But yeah, that's episode 200. So again, solopreneur.hour, I'm I'm looking at it right now. It says a very special episode starring you. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a great idea. You know what's, uh, by the way, since no one can spell preneur, I always say on the show, solohour.com. So you just can go to solohour. Ah, very smart. You can actually go to solohour.com slash 200. And then how long did yours take? How long was yours? I think it was eight, 10 hours. Yeah, dude. It's great. Everyone's like, you should do that all the time. I'm like, really? Yeah. I'll have 12 producers would like, you know, (laughs) this American life does. Now, one thing I remember that we talked about during that lunch was we just talked about comedy for a while. Mm. And I don't know if you remember this, but we we had referenced our favorite comedians and you had talked about how you learned from watching comedy. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, my, it's my first love. I mean, my brain is a, I'm, I, I think I'm a frustrated stand-up that never got on stage. <laughs> but my brain thinks like a stand-up. And whenever I talk to a real one, I've had a couple on my show, they, they kind of look, you know, if I talk to them in real life, they kind of look at me like, wait a second, you know way more about this than most people do. Because I love both sides of it. I think when you're public speaking, no one has a harder job than a stand-up comedian. Because you've got this audience of people that are, you know, arms crossed that are like, make me laugh. And Mm -hmm. that's not an easy thing to do. But when you think about the parallels between what we do as entrepreneurs and the parallels between what comedy does, it's, they they are almost exactly the same. Meaning, what they have to do is first they have to make sure an audience understands the concept of what they're talking about. And they call it the premise in comedy. We call it, here's, here's why it's important to have a good mailing list, right? So that's a premise. Like you have to set up, well, here's why. This way you can connect with your audience and blah, blah, blah. So a comedian has to set up the premise first. Chris Rock does it. Women can't go down in lifestyle. They can't. They can't go down in lifestyle. And then he'll just hit that premise 10 times. Like he'll kind of work around that idea. And every time he delivers a little bit of value uh, on his side, that's a punchline, right? Mm -hmm. So he does that throughout a whole set, just like we would if we were launching a product. At some point, he's finished with that set, which is like usually an hour long. And then he takes it to HBO or to Showtime and they do their full, you know, they publish their full set. We turn it into a product launch. So when they're on stage and they've got to speak to this group, they're trying and failing in real time. You know, when they have an idea for a joke, they have a concept or a premise for a joke, They'll try it out. And if people don't laugh, all right, that's, that's me. I got to tweak it a little bit. But then sometimes it's just a matter of like literally taking two words and interchanging them. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden it works and people totally get it. And you go, oh, okay. So they just keep refining and refining and refining. I know for a fact that you do that in almost every facet of your business. Like when you launch a course... That's not just a launched course. Like you will continually get feedback, continually test until you keep getting it more and more refined. Yeah, I mean, even on stage when I speak like a comedian would, I try different things and see what sticks. And the next time I do that same presentation, I'll keep in what what worked and take out what didn't. And, you know, a lot of people know my recent presentation at NMX, which I believe you saw in 2014 about raving fans. Yeah. You know, that was my right. first run Fantastic. of that. And thank you. And I've since done that nearly eight or nine times, Mm. I think, since then. And each time I've been able to improve. And it's not just what I say and the content, but also the timing of it. It's kind of crazy to me how important the timing of everything is. And there was one time I went into a presentation just truly working on the timing of everything. And it just killed Mm. it. it. Like the, 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 the joke stuck. And it's amazing how much 
you know, even a little bit of, 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 of joking around inside a presentation can just really make it a memorable thing for people and fun and exciting. And, you know, it kind of resets everybody. And, and, you know, the more you can make people smile in your presentation, uh, the, the better it's going to be. I mean, do you do that on your podcast or, you know, when you get on stage too, I know you've been doing some stage work too recently. Yeah. I, I love that. I, and I have, I mean, again, before the podcast, I did four years of live social media training for thousands of people. So I had my, I had my jokes and I had my timing. You know, I would always say about Facebook setting the, the setting the premise of as a solopreneur, you've got to grow your audience as big as possible, right? Because when you launch that thing, you want to be able to put on Facebook and, and have people share it. And then you run into that privacy situation where a lot of people are like, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to friend a stranger. And I would always say, ladies, people are innocent until proven creepy. And that would always get a big laugh. <laughs> and I didn't know that until, you know, I said it offhand one day and then it killed. And so I integrated that into everything, just like we, we do. Mm-hmm. Um, most recently, a podcast movement, you guys all know John Lee Dumas. Um, I, John and Kate were in the audience and I thought, I thought of this a few days before. And I said, I wonder if I'm going to have the cajones to say this in front of a, a full, because I had a full room for my thing. I, don't, I think you were there, but, but uh, no, I had an almost full room. Um, and I said, uh, again, with the timing, I said, you know, um, John and Kate are here and Kate, I was wondering something. I wondered, is it possible that John's ever just sort of walked into the doorway of the bedroom and kind of leaned on the door frame and said, Kate, are you ready to ignite? (laughs) And it killed, like it murdered the room. And and the, but I paused and it was really like a, a good kind of gentle delivery. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't rush it. And that was the kind of thing that a stand-up has to do. They really have to figure out that timing aspect. Uh, I love it, man. Speaking on stage is like my favorite thing to do. So did you like practice that beforehand to try and get the timing down? Cause that, just in my brain. Okay. Because I yeah. do that. I, I, do, I don't do it just in my brain. I literally do it. You are a consummate mirror uh, practicer. <laughs> there was one that I put in in, in that presentation that you saw in NMX the first time I did the Raving Fans one where I talked about Angry Birds uh, yes. and the first level of Angry Birds. And the whole premise behind this was you got to give your audience small, quick wins. And they, you know, that creates this habit and, and, and can help them keep coming back for more. And so the first level of Angry Birds I showed, like the left-hand side, you have the three red birds. And the right-hand side, you have one bad piggy on the top of this wooden tower. And I just like, just off the top of my head, I said, you know, if you hit this thing, you win. It's like the worst architecture I've ever seen. <laughs> and and that like got yeah. one of the biggest laughs in yeah. the room. I mean, there were a lot of laughs during that presentation, but I I was very surprised that everybody laughed at that. And so I just kept that in there every time. And that, every that time would, it is worse. That would worked. kill it in architecture seminar as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess, I mean, part, partly because I came from the architecture industry right. too. Uh, so people know that story. And so it had a little bit to do with that, but yeah. Yeah. It's like the, plumber jokes with a bunch <laughs> of plumbers, <laughs> right? Now, one thing we recently did together was when we were at uh, Social Media Marketing World, I actually had to fill in a role for somebody who couldn't make it to one of the author features or author spotlights. You were given this role at Social Media Marketing World to interview people. You got to inter- interview Guy Kawasaki and um, you know a few a, a few other people, and I had to fill in for somebody who wasn't there. And we had like seven people in the room because it was so last last minute. <laughs> Uh, but so like everybody and plus John was speaking at the same time. So most people were, were with John, but you know, it was fun to talk to those seven people, but yeah. we talked about a lot of cool things. One of the things we talked about, and we were just kind of looking at each other. You looked amazing in what you were wearing and I was wearing, what was <laughs> I wearing? Uh, you had a purple, uh, shirt with a vest, I think. 
Was that the vest day or was that, was that the suspenders day? Yeah, it was vest day. It was vest day. Yeah. I might've, I might've poked some fun at suspenders day. Okay. Well, yeah. anyway, we, we had a pretty long discussion about men's fashion. Some, yeah. Something that I first got in tune with in 2011, thanks to Antonio from Real Men Real Style, who <laughs> uh, went, apparently, uh, this is a story that some of you know, back in 2011, Antonio heard uh, through my blog that I was going to be speaking for the first time. And so what he did was, I didn't even know who he was at the time or this website that he had, but he sent me an email with a 25 minute video that was all about men's fashion. And it was tailored just for me. It said my name and it said, Pat, this is this is the kind of clothes you would look good in. And he talked about why it was important for me to dress well when I'm on stage. And I had never really even considered that ever. Um, but it was one of the coolest things somebody's ever done to take that much time out to help me out in that way. And it was mm. extremely helpful. Like I, I went on a on a on a spree at men's warehouse after that and I got a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff. And, and, you know, it's incredible how much that actually plays a role in, in kind of how people interact with you. But, you know, before I get onto that. Antonio, I asked him, like, why did you do, why did you send me this? And he said, well, because I downloaded, I downloaded your free ebook, ebooks a smart way. And he wrote an ebook of, of his own that he used as a lead magnet for his list. And he, I think at the time he had said he had, he'd got over 75,000 or a hundred thousand people on his list because of that. And uh, this was sort of his, his little quick way of, of thanking me. And it was yeah. just so cool. Cause I didn't, I didn't even know this person existed. And here he was kind of giving back to me in a way that, that was very special and very, impactful actually and when i started paying attention to what i wore at these events i started to get treated much differently and it's kind of interesting i i wish it wasn't that way but that's that's how it is and then we had this whole discussion you and i about first impressions and entering a room and what you wear and what that says about you and stuff like that yeah. and, and i know you pay attention you have a funny story about clothing too actually <laughs> Yeah, and it's so funny too. It's really appropriate. So as we're recording this, Icon is going on right now, which is the um, Infusionsoft Infusionsoft conference. conference. And our friend, our buddy John, is speaking at it. And so John has had I I <laughs> I made John over three weeks ago. I remember so this we, was after the San Diego half marathon. That's right. Because, we were going. Yeah, we were going right to Nordstrom. We spent uh, four hours at Nordstrom. That's a really long story. I won't get into it on your show, but. But uh, he ended up literally with a ground up brand new wardrobe, two suit jackets, three button downs, a couple of T-shirts, four pairs of jeans, three pairs of shoes, shorts. I mean, literally everything in a wardrobe. He kind of needed and it, so though. He needed it. Yeah. He needed it. John, you're listening to this, I'm sure. You know well, he needs it. But we all, here's, it's not, it's not anybody's fault. First of all, not everybody follows this stuff, especially as dudes. Second of all as you continue to sort of up level in your career, you be, you keep becoming exposed to people that, that are sort of of that sort of higher echelon. You wouldn't, and you need to like, there's, there is a sense of being appropriate. It's one thing to be sort of Richard Branson and show up wearing cargo shorts and a Tweety Bird t-shirt, but you're kind of Richard Branson. Mm -hmm. Generally, when you're at Pebble Beach, you need to sort of look like the right thing at Pebble Beach because as you've seen, doors open for you. Oh, yeah. When you're presented well, when you go to the air, trust me on this, when you go to the airport with a well-fitting, and that's key, not, you don't want to look like David Byrne, with a well-fitting suit jacket, you watch yourself be the one that gets upgraded over the other people. Like, if you want to, if you want to be in first class, dress like you're in first class. Anyway, so John posted this picture today, and I feel like a proud papa. He posted this picture of him right after his his speech. He's got his gray jacket on. He's got his black Simon Cowell t-shirt and his little purple uh, pocket square. 
And when I tell you, I don't know how many comments are on here, but a good half of them are looking sharp, styling, looking good, looking sharp. Um, you know, all this whole thing. I mean, looking dapper. It, it people's perception immediately went up, and it's not like he had they had a bad perception of him. But now all of a sudden, there's this this air of professionalism, and you know, how, again, we like to say how you do one thing is how you do all things. Yep. So if you're gonna, um, I learned this lesson when I lived in Boulder, Colorado. I used to walk around always in flip flops, cargo shorts, and a t-shirt. Like that was my uniform, and. At some point, I befriended a, a really good friend of mine, this guy, J.J. Collier, who's a designer. He's a professional designer. And um, he, just being around him and seeing him wearing like a white t-shirt with, with khakis, and I was like, why does his look really good? And mine looks like this. It's because all of his stuff was fitted, like it fit right. And overspending money fit trumps all. You know, like mm -hmm. if you can just get close, if you have an idea of what the rules are and you'd go to Marshall's or TJ Maxx or Nordstrom Rack and buy a couple of shirts and have them tailored the right way, it changes everything about how you look. Yeah. And you just feel more confident too. I mean, that's the one thing I found. It helps me when I'm on stage knowing that, you know, I look, I look sharp, you know, and people have this totally. idea that, you know, my presentation is going to be sharp too. Yeah. Right. How you do one thing is how you do all things. My, my, um, there was a American Idol guy who won top 10. His name was Bucky Covington, who's a country dude. He was like one of the first seasons. And his brother, Rocky Covington, they are identical twins. So they're both like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, blonde hair down to their shoulders, um, you know, country dudes. Mm -hmm. And I ran into them on a rooftop deck in Boulder, Colorado. And they're both wearing long sleeve black t-shirts, black jeans, boots, stainless steel watch. All right. That's, that, that was what they were wearing and they were twins. Here's the difference. Bucky made it to top 10 of American Idol. Rocky did not. So Rocky was wearing like a gap t-shirt and Levi's and whatever boots. And Bucky was wearing like an Armani t-shirt and, you know, sevens or whatever for jeans and like nicer boots. And it was crazy to see on two identical humans what a difference fit made because those other brands, even though they're more expensive, they pay way more attention to the tailoring of them. Mm. And you could like, I had this AB where I was looking left to right going, Whoa, look at the difference of how these two guys look. And they're exactly the same guy. And that was kind of cool. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Speak, it was interesting. Speaking of watches, you're a big watch guy. Oh, yeah, man. It's, I can't seem to find a hobby that's inexpensive. Yeah, right. What's up with that? Uh, Chris, Chris Ducker, I know, has, has a couple watches and he, I know he's talked about you and how you're a watch guy. I'm not a watch guy. I just have this one giant triathlon training watch, which is a Garmin. It is giant. And we have to talk, when you're going to wear fancy clothes, you can't wear your giant Garmin. No, I don't. You need something, you need something, you know, you need something more appropriate. But it tells me how many steps I take during the day. Don't you have an iPhone that does that? In your pocket? Well, yeah, but then I have to, Pull it out and then look at it. Look at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the whole premise behind the iWatch, the, the, the Apple Watch. Are you going to get one? I think I might. I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to wait, though. I'm not going to be a first adopter. I'm going to wait and see, you know, what the deal is. Yeah, oh, I mean, I did the same thing for the iPhone. I waited and saw what it was like and got to play around with, uh, with it a little bit. And I was like, wow, this is impressive. So I'll, I'll probably do the same thing with the watch, but I'm not as convinced yet. Right. But the watch thing that, you know, watches... We guys don't have much in the way of, of 
bling. We don't get a lot of jewelry, you know? Like you might wear a necklace if you're from the Northeast and you're like, hey, how you doing? You know, that's okay. And that's, <laughs> I used to when I was there. Um, we don't wear a lot of bracelets, you know, and the earrings are, you know, hit or miss. If you're a rocker or something, it's all good. So watches are really one of the only things we have to accessorize, if you will. We get pretty much a watch, a tie clip, and a pocket square. Those are the things we get that we mm -hmm. get to play with a little. And so the watch thing used to be the iPhone. They were the apps of their day, you know, where yeah. it's not just about telling time, but you can look at like GMT and things like that. What I like to do is I like to pick watches. I like all the old stuff. So I have a, a, I have a vintage, a couple of vintage watches. I have one newish one, but I like the older ones that have a history behind them. Like one of my, one of my watches that I want to get is called the Omega Speedmaster. And for those of you who don't know, the Omega Speedmaster is also called the Moon Watch because before uh, Apollo something or another, NASA went around to all the jewelry stores where they were in, it's not Cape Canaveral, where is it? Where's Houston? We have a problem. Uh, wherever wherever the, that base is. They went around and they grabbed all these watches. They did tons of testing on them. They decided on this Omega Speedmaster that would be the watch that the astronauts would wear on the moon. So when you see these like iconic pictures of these guys getting off the, the uh, lander onto the moon, they've got an Omega Speedmaster with a Velcro strap on the outside of their, their suits. And that became the Omega moon. They called it the moon watch. And so mm, you can cool. buy a 60s era Speedmaster and they're not crazy. They're, you know, five grand or something. They will never go down in value. They'll only go up in value. And you've got a story. You've got this great story with a bunch of history behind it. And that's what I like. I like the story and the history behind all, all these watches. I don't, I don't much care for the brand new ones. That's cool. I love yeah, that. It's fun. Now, before we finish up here, you had mentioned yet you had some podcasting tips. I think it be, might be kind of cool to start talking about those a little bit. I know, obviously, we have a lot of podcasters in the audience, too. And, you know, I'm always looking to improve as well. So tell us a little bit about kind of what you're doing. I mean, your show is doing really, really well. You're up to episode at the time of this recording, uh, 248. So you've, yep. you've obviously passed where, where we're at with SPI. How often are you doing your show? Three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, Monday and Wednesday, I, I like to have, I call them co-hosts because I like to be able to banter with them back and forth, mm -hmm. almost Joe Rogan style, you know, where it's not just like sort of, uh, and they are very much, as you can attest, they are like hit record and we start talking. They're not, this is not, structured questions. Right. Um, although one of my favorite questions lately has been, uh, what did your childhood smell like? Although I don't think I've ever asked you that. Pat, what did your childhood smell like? Uh, it smelled like pizza. Okay. Because I had pizza all the time. <laughs> all right. What else? And Filipino food. It smelled like the corner of the room because I was so shy and I always put myself in the corner of the room. I was never really somebody who would raise their hand and start talking. I was always the person in the back who, you know, I, I would also like, I remember one time I was playing uh, baseball and, you know, we were all kind of in the dugout and, and the coach was like, okay, like, let's make the lineup. Who's going to go first? And I raised my hand and I said, coach, can I go last? And the coach yeah. was like, why do you want to go last? And I said, well, you know, I want to see how everybody else does first for one. But also I said, you know, it might be important in the third or fourth inning. That's my time to get up there and maybe be a hero. Mm. Um, and I thought that was kind of cool, but kind of that's, not, you know, I've always been the person in the back who kind of lays back, watches everything. And then kind of when the time is right, then I, I, I go and do what I need to do. Mm. So that was podcast tip number one, everybody. 
See, I like the Trojan horse, the tips on you guys. That <laughs> so, question, uh, I, you, you want to say something? Go well, ahead. I was going to say the, that question is the tip. I'll get there. Hold on. Okay. Sorry. Self, I always find my way back. See now. what happens when I, when I don't wait until people finish. And then, you know, now I'm, now I'm getting in everybody's way. That question is a two-parter. So the first, and it, this just happened to me after podcast San Diego. I asked this question to someone on my right, someone on my left, and I had a right brain and a left brain person. So the first thing is when you say that question, what did your childhood smell like? And by the way, don't lead with it. You need to, you need to warm up a little bit before you answer, ask weird questions to people. But would they say that establishing rapport takes five connecting points? right? That's, that's the general psychology of establishing rapport with another human. And that question, bar none, is the best question I've ever asked to establish rapport with a new person I don't know. And so here's why. First and foremost, when you ask the question, the left brain people, the scientific people will question the question. The right brain creatives will answer the question right away. So immediately you know whether or not somebody is on the more technical side, the scientific side, or they're going to be on the more creative side. And then thus, you know how to structure your questions or how to structure the conversation. All right. That's tip Interesting. A. Okay. Tip, tip B, I've never, not one time have I ever asked that question. It's been in the hundreds that someone has not answered the question and then explained why they answered what they answered. So first you said, and I just want to break down what you just said. Yeah. First, you smelled like you said pizza. Okay, well, that didn't give me a lot. You said, I ate a lot of pizza when I was a kid. All right, I'm thinking maybe he's a fat kid. I don't know. <laughs> second, the second thing was, was far more telling where, and then you said Filipino food. All right, check that box. Got that going on. Then you said it smelled like the corner and I didn't push you on it. I would have said, what does the corner smell like? Because that's not a, a regular smell. But you went into a two minute story about you being super shy you not being like the, the number one guy for the baseball team. And then you sort of were like, well, then I could be the hero. So I could immediately from that go, okay, I have a Filipino connection. I grew up in Toledo, Ohio. I grew I was like, I, Derek Segosio was my best friend. My brother's best friend was Perry Palmagill. We have all this Filipino connection that I could talk about for 10 minutes with you. Next, we could talk about you being a shy kid. And then, but you had these almost fantasies of being the hero. So that you already had that in your brain that there was something bigger than you were just when, even when you were a little kid. But then I also know what the Filipino life is like because I grew up around that. So I would say, okay, you probably, it was probably like strict. You probably, every morning you woke up, it smelled like rice in the house all the time because my friends always had rice cookers going any given moment. <laughs> but there's easily a half hour of conversation for what you just said with the answer to that question. That's cool. I love that. And, and that should give you a little bit of insight into how I think proper podcast interviews should be done. Not with that particular question, but mm -hmm. in general, I think right now, new podcasters are looking to other podcasters for inspiration. And I think they're looking at the wrong place. They need to be looking at the 80 years plus of radio broadcasting for inspiration and look at what has, what has been best practice in society versus what someone has done for really, you think about it. How long have you been podcasting now? Three years? Five years. Five years. Almost wow. five years. Wow. Like, good for you. So that's impressive actually. It really is. But, but FYI, how much has your show evolved from show one to now? Even when I launched my show, I would, I would have said the Pat Flynn type show is he has an idea of what he's trying to teach. And then he'll go through that show and teach that concept. And he may have a guest on that will teach that concept. So it's really all about 
like value and actionable content. And now your show is a little more loosey-goosey. I've heard you follow up with questions and start talking about things that aren't necessarily, you know, on topic or on brand for them, which I think is cool. Yeah. Oh, um, you're absolutely right. And I always so, like to try new things and, and things yeah. like that. So. so, so a couple of, a couple of do's and don'ts. Number one, don't do the move where I, you, I, I say today's guest is Pat Flynn. Uh, Pat Flynn was, uh, going to be an architect and then he got laid off and then he decided to start an online business and um, thanks for being on the show, Pat. You know, I told him a little bit about your thing. Why don't you tell us the rest of the story? There's yeah. so many things wrong with that. First thing, when you're introducing someone, think about how for your whole life, watching like Jay Leno, watching Jimmy Fallon, think about how they bring a guest on to a show. They say, our next guest has won five Academy Awards. They have won three Emmy Awards for their amazing work on The Newsroom. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Daniels, right? Mm-hmm. It, the last two words of every intro should be someone's name. You never say their name beforehand. And here's why. You, you're trying to edify them. You're trying to make it so you build them up in the audience's brain. And there's a little bit of tension and anticipation that happens. And that really comes clear when you're the guest. It makes, it makes someone feel really good as the guest. The second thing you can do with that, if you really want to take it to the next level, is you can do the eight mile approach. You ever see the movie Eight Mile, Pat? I love the movie Eight Mile. Great. You remember the last scene? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Literally the best like hype me up song ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last scene when Eminem and the other dude are in the battle. Do you do you happen to remember what happened in that 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 the reason why he won? He won because he had just clowned himself before the other guy could do it for him. That's right. He took away the other guy's ammo because he used it all on himself. So think about this as an interviewer. If I were bringing Pat on the show for the first time and I really wanted an insightful interview, Pat, if, if you had to make a guesstimate, how many podcasts have you been on? 500? Mm, close to that. Yeah. All right. So you've said this story at least 500 times. Okay. So if I wanted a different story from you, what would be my best move? Well, of course, my best move would be in the intro. I would tell the story. I would tell you, I would tell my audience. Now, my next guest is a guy that many of you know, but if you don't know him, he was going to be an architect and I would go through your story. It might take me a minute to get through it. However, ladies and gentlemen, Pat Flynn, now Pat's got no ammo left, which means that Pat has to actually talk and be creative and interesting and, and fresh and original. Now, Mm. as Pat, wouldn't that be way, way, way more interesting of of an interview than if you'd said the same thing, even if you weren't ready for it, right? Totally. I mean, I love sharing my story, but I I love when people ask me different questions. I mean- Then you're not on autopilot. Right. Sometimes people, however, they they interview me and they say, Pat, I know you've told the story a hundred times, but would you mind telling us how you got to where you're at today? And I'm like, yeah, that's not the way to kind of get into it. Now, when it's really hacky interview technique, because it's like, let's say you went to a college and something big happened at that college. Like there was a, there was a protest or something, you know, 2002. I could say, Pat, so I don't know. You didn't go to, where'd you go to? You didn't go to Stanford, did you? Where'd you go? No, wait. What? USC? USC? No, gosh, no. You know where I go. And that's why you're I saying forget. those things. I forget. You're saying those <laughs> things because you knew where I went. Which you, one? Cal, which UC Berkeley, which oh, is like right. the opposite yeah, of those schools. I know. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so... 
So, but let's say there was a big, let's say there was a big protest happening at Cal the the years you were there, right? Uh, Every weekend, actually. Right. Because it was like Southern California. So the, but let's say that that happened. And I knew that because I did a little bit of research. You don't need to go days and days and days, but you did a little bit of research on Pat Flynn said, okay, from, you know, 2008 or whatever, this happened. So I could say, where did you go to college? Fine. You were willing to kill me, but, or... I could say, you know, in 2008, there was a massive protest about blah, 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 blah. What was it like for you to be on campus during that time? And what, you know, how much more interesting is that as an interview? Yeah, it's that- so much richer to have a little bit of research. So the, the, the final tip I'll give you is that you know your audience. I, 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 I'm not going to put them on the spot, but I think if I said to Pat, if I said, Pat, uh, Give me your avatar. You could probably spit it out pretty easily and, and be pretty darn close. Yeah, I'm still get trying to get up to where John is with his. He's, yeah, that's he crazy, right? He's like, hey, he's 20 years old. He has a commuter for 20 years old. Two kids. If you know that off the top of your head, right? And I'm I'm your guest. I don't know your avatar at all. I have no idea how, because I haven't maybe listened to every single one of your episodes and maybe your guest hasn't listened to every single one of your episodes. So if you do the move, which I think is killing podcasting in the outside world, when you say, hey, I've said a little bit about you, tell the rest of the story. I'm like, wait, 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 stop. Specifically, that is your job as the host for you to narrate that story to your audience because guess what? The guest doesn't know who your audience is. You need to be the Rosetta Stone. You have to be the translator between that guest and filtering what your guest says to the audience so that they can hear it and interpret it in the way that they will get the most value. Does that make sense? Completely. When people don't do that and they give away, they essentially hand the microphone to a stranger and they say, yeah, provide value to my audience. Whenever anybody does that to me on their show, I go, well, I started playing racquetball in 2007 and um, I really hustled. I did a lot of practice. And they're like, no, no, no. I was talking about, like, you didn't specify what you were talking about. You just said... (laughs) You know, and I do it sometimes, but sometimes I'm nice to them and I say, you know, can we, you know, we not do that? That's, that's really a bad thing to do. (laughs) So, and then, and then I said the final one, but the real final one is that you can't launch a podcast with bad audio unless you're Tim Ferriss, then you can get away with it. But if you have crappy audio, someone's going to listen to your show for the first time and they'll go, oh, this sounds like they recorded in someone's basement and they'll never listen again because they, that's just not how it works anymore. So they, you got to imagine they're going to be switching from NPR or Howard Stern or morning radio to your show. So it should sound as good as those things going out of the gate. Right. Absolutely. Those are my four big podcast tips, Pat. I love it, Mike. Fantastic tips. I mean, stuff I've Thanks. never heard before either. So uh, a lot of people are going to get a ton out of this. And we didn't reach an hour, but that's okay because I'm not the solopreneur hour. That's you. <laughs> Well, and, you know, I, I got plenty of time. No, yeah, dude, I'm really glad you came on the show. Finally, it's we, Mike and I have been talking about doing this for a while. And uh, I'm, I'm glad we're able to put them in here in the summer of 2015. And we'll have to come mm. come back on at some point. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been on your show before. I can't wait to do it again. And, you know, I, I always know you love having guests come back. I'm always happy to do that. And uh, I'll make sure to link to all of those episodes on your show here in the show notes of this episode. And any any final parting words, Mike, before we head out? Other than just saying, I, I, I kid you not, this is a, a thrill and I'm so honored. I mean, I, I, I can attribute a huge percentage of my show's success and my success as a solopreneur to Pat Flynn and Smart Passive Income. You're the guy I've, I've referred to 80 million, 80 million times and, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're doing the good work, kid. So thank you very much. Thanks, man. So are you. We appreciate you. We'll see you later, Mike. Bye-bye.
All right, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Michael O'Neill. Again, you can visit him at solopreneurhour.com. I highly recommend you check out his podcast. You can also check out all the links and everything mentioned in this particular episode over at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 164. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash session 164. Hey, really quick, I wanna let you know about a page on the website that might be really helpful for you. A lot of you are already taking action on what you've heard on the podcast, which is fantastic, but a lot of you have also messaged me asking for more, deeper information, more fine-tuned and highly targeted information for specific problems and pains that you might be having. So what I did was I actually put together a few courses. There's more courses actually coming down the road, uh, but you could check out all the courses and things that are available to you there at smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. My team and I have worked really hard to put together the best information that'll help you solve specific problems that you might be having in your business. So if you're just starting out and you need help and you need accountability, handholding, you want a community behind this as well, check it out, smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. You can see what's available there. All different kinds of courses to help you through a number of different things you might be working on. And like I said, there are more courses coming down the road too. So one more time, smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. I also wanna give a shout out really quick to Jordan Harbinger and the crew over at The Art of Charm. One of the other podcasts that I've uh, gotten tuned into recently, I've subscribed, I listen to the show, every episode is great. And I actually asked Jordan the other day if there was one particular episode that stood out to him and here he is talking about one episode of The Art of Charm podcast. Recently, I interviewed a buddy of mine. His name is Alex Kutz and he's just this guy who comes from the Silicon Valley business development world and he's talked about public speaking. He's talked about negotiating. And this episode with negotiation, I mean, this talk about a surprise. I had the guy who works on the Art of Charm app. He worked for a large software company and he recently left and he's trying to get another gig. And so he walks into this investment bank uh, going into their IT department. And they said, what do you do for fun on the side besides, you know, programming and at work? And he goes, well, I'm working on this app for this company called The Art of Charm that my friend owns. And she said, are you serious? I listen to The Art of Charm as well. This is the person interviewing him for the job. Mm-hmm. I listen to The Art of Charm as well. And the reason I'm sitting on this side of the desk is because I'm hiring you as my replacement because I used the negotiation strategies from the Alex Coots episode to get a promotion and a raise. What? Are you serious? And, and I was like, this is unbelievable. I mean, talk about world. Crazy, right? Anyway, Jordan's a great guy. He's a great interviewer, has a lot of content on his site. If you go to theartofcharm.com, you'll check out his podcast. You can also look it up on iTunes. I highly recommend you subscribe. And uh, that particular episode that he's talking about with Alec Coots, that's K-O-U-T-S, that's episode 326. And that's where I would start, actually. Thank you once again for listening in. I appreciate it. Always happy to be here to serve you, and I can't wait to serve you in the next episode of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. If you have a sec, please go to iTunes and leave a review for the show. I really appreciate it. Cheers, take care, and I'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI, and today I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point, so I love that we're just facing it head on here. 
And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray. And in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John, who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure, and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it. 